just um, phoning around here. This is uh, the second uh, episode of a special Funky Friday at Five series that I'm titling and calling All About Aesthetics. And this is episode two. This is promises to be a, a, a lengthy series because I'm not just going to do three shows. You know, it's going to be like a, a season, you know, and going to have shows. And this is the second one. And we're going to talk about all kinds of different things. And um, I'm here at my piano. I got to get, get, do some, do some, uh, I got to organize some stuff in my, in my space here. As you can see, um, I'm going to talk about, this is like a one man show, like a one man band. So we got to, got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Have um, hopefully this is relatively painless, but we got um, I don't know if we want to start with this just yet. You know, it's just a way that to kind of, kind of um, <laughs> um, so. You know, the last time I did this show, this series, I, um, yeah, I um, talked about my clothes, actually. And I'm going to do that again. I'm going to start off with the same, the same kind of discussion. I mean, related discussion, because you want to start, I want to start from the most immediate and then, um, and then do the, uh, you know, do the, um, more outward. Start from the interior. We're going to move in, inside, move outward. So um, I'm going to do a. I'm going to be doing fair use show here. So there was a actually in 1976, the year of the bicentennial, there was a copyright act. Is copyright 107, and it allows fair use for purposes of. We're going to do all these things here: criticism, commentary, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. And it's permitted by copyright. And in a way, since I don't have my own school, uh, this is kind of like my attempt at my own school, this episodes like this one. So it's going to be a lot of commentary. And it's for purposes of edification and education. So um, I'm going to start off with, again, the shoes. Now, I, 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 I mentioned this again because I, um, um, I had these made in 94 in Florence, Italy. And last time I didn't get a chance to show you this. See this little initial? Yeah, this little MH. And I went into this little place. Now, I found um, some more photographs of me having that made. Now, this is this is me at the age of 25. Look at me there. And that's Stefano working on something. I'm kind of looking at, 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 um, at uh, his, his, uh, I, I just wanted to get these. These are really nice photos I took of the late Stefano Bemer. And um, this is the prize of this one. This one I took as a prize. Um, and so I thought I would, I thought I would reintroduce those shoes. Now, as far as the other stuff I got on, um, <clears throat> Um, I'm wearing kind of unusually, 
I'm wearing um, stuff that I don't wear too much throughout the year. So it's what I call only a few months because this is winter clothing. So this is a, this is a, um, you would call it, the English would call this a coat, a sport coat, not an overcoat, but you know, like a, we, I think Americans call it a jacket. And um, it's a Harris Tweed by W. Bill was the name of the firm. Now I think they consolidated to another firm, but basically these are really, really, everything's everything in bespoke clothing, at least as far as I'm familiar and the kind of the, what I've done for myself for many decades, just many, many years studying this stuff. And, and it's all about weight. Everything's weight. So we're in December now. So in December, you're going to have 20 ounce, 18 ounce weight. And this is one of the heavier kind of tweeds. And I got this thing because it's kind of plain. It's got some blue in it. And, you know, as a, as a demonstration of, again, aesthetics is about, what is it about? It's about how things feel to us how we receive information. If indeed we receive information as information, or if we receive it, uh, hopefully as something um, less superficial than data or information, that is something that has meaning to us, something that affects us in some way, all sorts of ways, depending upon our own unique life experience and the journey that we happen to be on. And so all of that stimuli, all that information, we receive it. And all that stuff we're receiving was made by people or some kind of a, you know, a person or a group or a, um, a town or whatever, you know, made things. And a lot of those things that are made are not they're what I would call make-believe or imagined. They're fictional. Um, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're not reality. And the term that I use for that, and a lot of people use is the word art. Now that's a very, you know, you know, art etymologically comes from artificial, meaning not natural, meaning it's not like this piece of wood here. It's not just given. So there are things that are given and then there are things that are created and constructed sometimes quite easily by the maker, sometimes through great arduous struggle and sleepless nights. And sometimes for many years and sometimes a few months and sometimes a week. And then you get things like, well, like a book or get things like, a, well, we'll get to it. So, so things, things, all sorts of things come out of it. So I didn't really know. I always say this. I never know how I'm going to proceed exactly because I have all these ideas and these things I want to express. And I don't know, you know, um, how I'm going to, um, but I want to get to get to this clothing thing. So bear with me. So now this, basically there's two, there's basically two kinds of, at least on my mode of dress. Again, this is what I do. I mean, millions of people do not do this. I have no interest in this. What I do or I did. Um, I don't wear a lot of suits. I wear um, my my uniform every day is usually called a suit by other people because of the superficial similarity. I, re I usually wear an odd coat and a trouser. So it's not matched. So a suit is when the top and the bottom have to be the identical fabric. Now, this is a real honest to goodness suit. 
Um, but the thing, the reason why I'm showing this is to contrast the weight. Um, so this, you know, the weight is everything. And you know, if you're if you're ordering something, a commission to something to be made, the first thing you're going to talk about is fabrication. Like, what kind of cloth are you gonna are you gonna use, right? And how how much how much you want the cloth to weigh? So if we're If we're in um, summer, okay, see how light this thing is? It's almost like it's almost like shirt. It's almost like it's so lightweight. I think it's like six point um, six and a half ounces as opposed to 15 or something. You know, it's very, very light. And I was able to pick this out, you know, and have it made. So this is what I would wear. If it were not December, as we're in now, but in August. And it actually is perfect, believe it or not, for August, because it's so light. And it's still the same cloth. It's still in the wool family. It's not silk. It's not cotton. And it's very formal. Now, this is a big thing. Like, the suit, this is a really a suit. It's like, all of my clothes are very plain. But, you know, in terms of outer garments, my, 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 my ties aren't, of course, always so plain. And the reason why that is, is at least in the traditions that we're talking about, is that you want to choose something sort of like a blank slate, like a canvas. And that's why we males historically dress, again, this is a classical style. It's not modern. It's not contemporary. Um, it's an older style that we can call traditional or whatever you want, to, whatever adjective you want to throw at it, um, is based on kind of being a backdrop and so the line is what's important and the tailors in Savile Row that invented some of this stuff and the French too did some inventions innovations decided that men would wear things like pewter gray or charcoal and if you're going to wear a blue it has to be a dark blue not a bright blue basically you're wearing shades not colors if that makes any sense and you leave your color for a tie or something or accessory that could be a color you know, but you're, you're kind of, you know, tans and these very, some people consider this very boring, but the, but the conceit behind all of this is that when you look, at, if you are going to look at what someone's wearing, you're going to see the work, they would say workmanship then, work, you know, the craft, craftspersonship or whatever word we're using now, will stand out more if you're not distracted by patterns and loud colors. Because it's about it's about line and not about it's a it's a it's a certain sensibility. Now that entire world of fashion and bespoke tailoring is one tiny tiny speck in the world of aesthetics. It's a speck. It's just basically what some men liked. It's actually used to be required. So. 40, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, this was required by a lot of men because of their job, maybe. And there's also certain requirements about wedding attire and all this stuff and black tie and all these kinds of things, you know? And so um, it's a spec though, because it's just one small um, 
like a small little uh, hamlet or garrison, you know, in an immense universe of all sorts of other aesthetic matters like print, linotype, right? Fonts, in, in, if you're gonna read something or photography, you know, light, camera. And these are all, so the way I see is the, all these things work their magic upon us if we are so fortunate or unfortunate, depending upon what we're experiencing, you know, to, to receive all, all this, um, all this uh, bounty that humans in culture, and so we call it civilization culture, create. And we're going to deal with some of that now. We just talked about clothes. And so just because, you know, I got to take the photograph of the guy that made, made my shoes, you know, that's not really, that's a very different thing than getting shoes that were ready made by a factory, of course, or by, you know, it's a different, those are different kinds of experiences, you know. And so um, I thought it'd be interesting to look at some things that are, that are, that interest me. We're going to get to Sontag in a minute, so bear with me. Um, so you folks know that I had these little Farrah Fawcett cups. Um, of course, now that Ryan O'Neill has passed, um, this, of course, made, made it all the more uh, interested in, show, in showing this. So I have this cup, but I also, keeping with the theme of contrast, contrast, right? This is a magazine called Playboy, and this is Farrah on the cover, 1977. And it's a it's a Christmas issue. I don't know quite how to proceed. Should I stick with this issue before I? This is a Christmas issue in the nineties. Nineteen ninety five, the middle of the decade. Look at the size of this. Look at the glossy, glossy of this paper. See the glossy paper? Cigarette ad, always cigarette. So that was, you know, what is it here? Yeah, um, look at how, look at the paper here. This is like a book, this is like a dictionary, you know. And, you know, if you open this up and there's some things, I'm not gonna, of course, gonna show you the new photographs because of the venue that we're in now, um, because it's, um, you're not going to believe how 70s. So this is the John Travolta is the interview. The new star, it says here, a can of conversation with the hottest young star in America. And the interview goes on for like 20 pages. He talks about his entire life to that point and the, the, the you know, Diane Delaney, you know, um, uh, is that her name? The, uh, Diane Hi I'm sorry, Diane Highland. I'm confusing his, his, girlfriend who died of cancer the year this came actually Santa fever came out and they of course met on the on the um on the set of the boy in the plastic bubble the uh great randall kleiser movie with robert reed and um, eve plum so anyhow but that's i think he gets in that here but uh you know you would have these really long interviews so so it's an aesthetic decision for this institution such as it is to cut out all of their content and just make this little thin 
you know, there's almost, it's all ads. Like almost this whole magazine is, um, well, here's an ad for you that might interest you. Um, the heaviest thing in here is they want you to get online. So they want you to, what is it here? Got here. Yeah, to get online. It's all, this is, you're supposed to get this floppy disk. America Online. Yeah, that's that era of the Y2K and the information superhighway, you know, and then a few years later, you know, Al Gore. So it's interesting. I'm going to show some some of Farah here in this issue because it's um one of the interesting things about this 1977 Farrah Fawcett issue is that the context is that she's left Charlie's Angels and she's fled or she's gone away for a few years. And so it's almost like a star is retired, like a middle-aged star and not a young, you know, really young woman like Farrah Fawcett was then. And so it's like this big deal. It's like this person's left this big series and now they're back. And so the whole thing is about how she's returned to the spotlight, you know? And so it's very strange. They have this, this, this kind of, um, my cup could be there. See the cup that I have. So they have this, all this overview of her life, you know, again, almost as if she were uh, a different actress, almost as if she were Suzanne Plachette or somebody or Karen Black, this long, you know, just all this, look at that. And so, because the, the, the culture that doesn't exist anymore at all, by the way, this is gone, we're in a different culture. But the culture at that time kind of wanted to make something that someone would you know, get a lot out of it. They'd look at all these pictures of this one person that they're interested in in their life. and. And it's almost like it's kind of like a collage. And so that's a very, if you think about it, this is a commercial, extremely mass market commercial um, magazine. You know, it's almost like it's almost like it's like it's like the equivalent of um, ABC, CBS and NBC, just not for the whole family, just for adult people, you know. But it's almost like the idea is that a person is supposed to curl up with this this magazine. Look at all this stuff, you know. And that's a, that's a, um, anything that humans make, you know, tells you something both about what people feel is important or what people want to experience, of course, but also, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the things that it tells you is what's not possible. Although it's never thought, thought that way. It's only retroactively or retrospectively that, you know, hindsight is 2020. You look back and say, well, people did this because they didn't have, what no no cell phones no computers no screens so there's you know it's a sense in which you know the kind of the um the uh over design quality of some of these big magazines the fact they were thick and big they gave you hundreds of articles and john travolta talking about his life and all the rest of it is because there was nothing else for people to do actually in a way i mean i'm exaggerating of course i mean like, but you know the, your options were you know you have the three networks you have pbs and that's a that's a that's an that's an that's the aesthetics of an era, you know, of an entire era. And if you cut, you know, skip ahead, you know, um, ten years or so, um, that we got here. Hmm. 
the other difference too is that in these in these more recent magazines, you, you can't. They're stock full of so many advertisements that you can't find anything. It's just you know tons of advertisements. You don't know where anything is. You know. Here we go. This is a some really actually really great 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 photos of her. Really 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 great. Um, um, but the perspective is different. It isn't like, you know, it isn't like she's, I mean, she's been around for a while, right? So um, it's like, you know, this is what we're going to do every Christmas. We're going to show you Farrah, you know, or something. I don't know. Again, I'm not, I'm not really an expert. I sort of know about a lot of these things, but I don't really have have a full you know, because I have so many interests, I've got to play piano and learn music, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of things I'm, 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 um, you know, researching any given time, and so I don't know every last detail about everything, you know. So it'd be interesting to think about. Um, now, Sontag. Um, Well, she talks about style, and, and we've been we've been so thus far in this episode, we've been covering um, different styles that are part of the commercial world. Um, by which I mean, not that they're commercials for something, but I mean that they're well, they're popular. A lot of people um, are interested in them. It's a, it's a it's a number soul type of thing. But that's the you know that's always a style, and so right after I guess interpretation, Sontag has her essay on style, which there's so much to say. But she says here, um, Going back to guess interpretation, she, she says that transparency is the highest, most liberating value in art and in criticism today. She thinks very highly of transparency. Transparency means experiencing the luminousness of the thing in itself, of things being what they are. This is the greatness, for example, of Bresson and Ozu, and Renoir's Rules of the Game. She says, once upon a time, say for Dante, you know, like the uh, thinking of the infer Inferno and the Purgatory and the, um, the divine, the divine uh, comedy, right? It must have been a revolutionary and creative move to design works of art so that they might be experienced on several levels. Now it is not. It reinforces the principle of redundancy that is the principle affliction of modern life. So she goes on to say it's like the smokestacks or the chimneys. Again, she's in, 19, in, this, in this essay, she's writing in 1965, 66. So she's responding to that. That is not our world in any respect, um, of course. Um, so it'd be interesting to think about now. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that up that challenge. Um, and then of course in the in the following that's she says that you know the antipathy it's a famous quote antipathy to style is always antipathy to a given style. So it's it's something that's given. And she's saying that if you do, I guess she's saying that if you don't like something, you don't like that specific thing and its specificity. Um so she she's saying that style is not style is something that's always present. Style is not something added on. So it isn't like you have the world and then you it's then you a style is somehow attached to it. Exactly the opposite. She's saying that um, by virtue of being human, you are going to like and dislike different styles. Um, you know, you, you you know you're gonna you're gonna be someone who never watches television, like her. I, don't, I think she never had a TV or something. I think I'm not not entirely sure. So she has an antipathy to television. And we've just spent the first part of this episode discussing a TV icon and in, in, in a magazine that mostly men read that, that was very was very controversial, right? But that's that's um that's it. That, those are given styles, you know. Um and she goes on to say it is not only that style styles belong to a time and a place. And that our perception of the style of a given work of art is always changed with an awareness of the work's historicity, its place in a chronology. Further, the visibility of styles is itself a product of historical consciousness. Were it not for departures from or experimentation with previous artistic norms, which are known to us, we would never recognize the profile of a new style. So a lot of things that are new, their, their newness and sometimes evident to us because we are so, we have been so thoroughly immersed in and educated about what came before. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it's almost like a, a little bit like a, so I got to change clothes here again because I got to get my, my glasses. Um, uh, All right. Yeah, I need to. <laughs> Got to see what I'm doing here. So I'm going to, in the spirit of comparing, you know, two different 
commercial magazines or, um, you know, comparing winter clothing to summer clothing, even though they're the same color range, they're both dark, but they're meant for different times of the year. I'm going to, I try to find, you know, I'm going to play two moves. I tried, I racked my brain, brainstorm. And I said to myself, I want to pick the two movies that had the least in common, such that if you see them next to each other, which we're going to do, we're going to watch them next to each other, you sort of think that one of them's not a movie or, or they or they're both movies, like they're, or you think you you sort of think that an alien intelligence would assume they were made by different different planets, you know, or different galaxies. <laughs> well, you'll see. I mean, I thought it's kind of interesting. I mean, I should say um, at the uh, outset that um, 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 huh. let's go come on the first I'm gonna play is the Harvey girls which is a it's a um It's sort of a 50s musical western. I think that's right. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't think in terms of these kind of categories. For me, The Harvey Girls is one of my favorite movies. Um it by George Sidney, too, and it's one of my favorite musicals. And it's got people like Judy Garland and um uh well, Angela Lansbury and um, is it Ray Bulger? I'm, forget, I'm forgetting. Again, I used to have the encyclopedic miles, but it's very 50s, right? Vincent Minnelli, right? So I'm just going to play a little of that and uh, just let it sit with you. And, you know, think about it as a made thing. It's like a, a, a man, Vincent Minnelli, Liza's dad. And I'm sorry, not Vincent Minnelli, George Sidney. Confusing, being dyslexic about my directors. George Sidney. Um, I'm thinking of Meet Me in St. Louis, which I purposely didn't show because everybody right now is showing Meet Me in St. Louis. This is a very Turner Classics type of selection. so, And it's a musical, so people burst into song. And the premise of the movie, if you must know, is these girls uh, come to town to civilize it or improve it in some way. They're kind of there to make the town better, I don't know, to, to bring culture and, and, you know, improve it. And there's love interests and all that. And there's a lot of singing, a lot of dancing. And Judy Garland has one of the greatest voices. Just so for me, it's Judy Garland, Barbara Cook, Barbara Streisand, who is deeply influenced by Barbara Cook. Um, tone of voice, Sarah Vaughn, Shirley Horn, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, yeah, I mean, just singing. Judy Garland's one of those, just um, just a poet. But anyhow, this is a movie. G-rated. Wash your face, some hands, people who never be afraid of soap. What's 
shoes and powdered chalk and fancy smells and baby talk. It's all the word of Gavin's do do do. Even so, we aim to say we love to honor and oh, baby, are there any more at home like you? Wow, hand in my hair, gold man, my sticker. Gonna get bruised up and I'll pick up. Put on the dog and I'll say, Mr. Harvey, Mr. Harvey, Red Harvey knows exactly how to make them. We come from the Duke, Iowa, that's where the tall, tall, tall corn grows. We come from Louisiana, where the Mississippi flows. I was a Lily and Russell of Cherryville, Kansas, but they never gave me a chance. I finished high school in Providence, Rhode Island, and Providence, Rhode Island is where I let you be. Oh, I'm from Chillicothe, Ohio. My middle name's Hiawathe, Ohio. I'm gonna get the Golden Empire Hill, so I said goodbye, oh, Ohio. We will go to Mars, from Grand Rapids, Mish. The breeding, running, repetitive, we're not our dish. I was born in. I was raised in Paddis, went to school in Paddis, where I met a boy. I was married in Paddis, almost buried in Paddis, but I finally left Paddis, Paris, Illinois. So this is the wild and woolly west. Give me my tap, and my decker Give me a gun and a holster for my hip. Bang, bang! so fresh and alive and I'm so glad to arrive it's all so grand it's easy to see you don't need a palace to be like Alice in wonderland Back in Ohio, where I come from, I've done a lot of dreaming and I've traveled some, but I never thought I'd see the day when I ever took a ride on the Santa Fe. What a take a ride on the Santa Fe. My window sill and hear the whistle echo across the hill. Then I watch the lights till they fade away on the edge of Santa Fe and the Santa Fe. What a thrill! What a big, big, wonderful thrill! With the wheels singing westward ho. Then I 
I feel, um, I think I'm forgetting his name. Um, like I'm a host on TCM. I don't know why. That's what I, that's what I feel like, uh, especially especially after after showing that. Um, so that's it that's in a given style I mean the style is very uh, it's very based on sort of ideas uh, about technicolor and you have someone sing alone uh, then we have crowd we have an ensemble which which call and response and we have uh, they're talking about what's happening in their town they, they take this train and this kind of all this, um, you know, rich color and just, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually its own universe, you know, that they, that they created these sets, you know, this is a, a back, this is a lot, this is not a, um, a real location, you know, and it's a song and they're singing songs. It's a little bit like opera. Musicals are basically just like opera it, because, they're, um, you know, they're, they're ostensibly real situations and then people burst into song, you know. Of course, the thing now is to have a song motivated that, you know, if you do a musical, now it has to be about a rock star or a rock group or a folk singer, you know, so that the songs, you know, are integrated into that the part of the story. Because that's, that's the aesthetic, you know, that's a, we're in an area in which that's... Um, we're, we're in an era now in which people have certain beliefs, um, actually deeply held beliefs that they have never examined. They just have them through, through their own life experience. And those beliefs concern the importance of truth and falsity. There's different ways of talking about truth, of course, you know, so they, they, they would prefer, they would prefer that people not, not start sinning. 
if only because, you know, in their lives, they've never seen a lot of people doing that, unless it was up with people, unless it was arranged, you know. And so they're not used to walking down the street. I mean, the people that do burst into song sometimes, you know, uh, walking down the street might might have reasons, you know, it might be, might be a mental issue or something. I don't know. Um, but you know, in the world of musicals, you have to you have to suspend your disbelief, and and you have to meet it halfway. As I'm always saying, you have to meet the world halfway. You have to meet this kind of movie halfway. And so I thought, well, you know, what can I pick to pair with the Harvard Girls? What's its opposite? Well, of course, a film by a man I actually met and had drinks with. I mean, I didn't, I don't drink, but I went out with drinks, you know, for drinks. Um, 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 yes, exactly. People did, people did sing. Um, uh, Milton Moses Ginsburg, who has passed since I was fortunate to go out with him after he showed us his film, Coming Apart. 1969, Rip Torn, Sally Kirkland, and We're in a different, and some other folks in there. We're going to show a scene from that. And it's pretty, you know. Now, I should say, I love both these movies. I love Coming Apart, too. I mean, I went out with the, you know, went out with the filmmaker after, after all. You know, we talked about his making of this. Um, so, you know, what can I tell you? Um, I guess I should say that this is uh, takes place in one location, and it's about a it's about a psychiatrist played by Rip Torn. There's a lot of jokes in the show Barry about Rip Torn, like Rip Torn's gun. That Clu that Cluso or Gene was he supposed to have this gun? I don't know. There's all this, but all I feel like a little bit. There's a lot of inside humor in the show Barry about about Rip Torn's as a person, his antics or character. Um, he's a psychiatrist that's sleeping with many various patients. I think it's never really totally clear. And the idea of the film is that we're watching his his films of his you know, his unethical or dubious relations with all these women. And so I'm going to play a scene from Coming Apart, 1969. Let's see what we do. We like, we just, you know, like sleeping together.
only one. You are fag. Is you ready? One thing though. I know I'm gonna pass. You're softy. Oh yeah? So that's um that's coming apart. Um, um 
And of course, you know, the, the, the story is that he's secretly filming all these people that come in to his orbit, into his, his office there. And um, it's interesting to think about again. Th these are these are both movies. I mean, they're, they're they were made by people, and 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 you know, um, it's interesting to think about that. I mean, it's um, I tell you one thing that both movies do have in common is that both kind of like a camera on a tripod, right? There's not a lot of, that's the one commonality. And, you know, it's stationary. You have, you have your frame and you have your events in the frame. But the events are very different. And that's kind of what aesthetics are. It's sort of like a way to talk about what we feel when we experience things and then to maybe go a little deeper and maybe decide for ourselves, well, what the, what the hell was that I just experienced? In the case of the second film, I mean the the priority is all about the actors. I mean, it's the actors run that film. The two characters here, the Sally Kirkland and the Rip Torn, they're they're the they're you know as much in command as the director is Mil Milton Ginsburg, if not more so. You get the feeling that, and it's all scripted. There's no improvisation in this film. It's totally written, which is another interesting thing about it, I think. And so, um, you know, you could say that the second film was made by people that wanted to kind of dig beneath the surface and sort of experience people in a way that we identify as being truthful or honest or expressive invulnerable and all that and sort of all the danger of that. Um, but basically I would say that in both these movies, you're getting some kind of truth because after all in that musical, as our producer said, her grandfather used to sing and, you know, go to singing, walking down the street, singing the Easter parade song, you know, and that's going, going to the, to the work work. And so it's just a difference of, Instead of one person doing everybody, everybody is singing in harmony. And those are things inside of us. And, and every bit as much as inside of this crazy psychiatrist, you know, this, this poor, and then that, his friend there on, on the couch, you know? Um, and aesthetics becomes then a matter of what you're going to do with that or how are we going to deal with that? Just like, are you going to wear a tweed coat that's heavy? Because it's 20 degrees outside, you're going to wear something light because it's 90 degrees outside. And these are these are kind of I'm not saying it's all the same thing, but they are they are deeply connected. And so, you know, if looked at in that way, of course, aesthetics is, is anything but an accessory that's added on. It's actually. Our all of our experiences uh, in the moment on a day to day. Night by night, you know basis through time as we flow through time and so that's my only thing i can really say to conclude except that if you want to join us for my concert on wednesday you're certainly welcome it's a holiday 
concert of some holiday classics, some of them quite famous classics. And then, of course, um, Under Jungle, but James Sturst, the writer, we're going to do an episode with him. And he's he's been a, a, a scuba diver and a He's just a, 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 he's a man of two worlds, a man of New York City and books, and also a man of the ocean. And so he's, he's, he's done it all, you know, and it's kind of interesting. He's written this book, you know. And so then I got my, I got my concert on Wednesday and um, I'm going to say again, happy Hanukkah, happy, happy Christmas, happy New Year, all the other um, holidays coming up. Um, and I hope you get some holiday as we used to say in my day, some downtime and that you're not always, not, hopefully not too stressed. And we will return to Sontag here. So there's more to talk about. So thank you. Have a good weekend.